0: Well, um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just jump right into our message this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for meeting us here in this place. God, we don't, we don't have to do anything to call your presence in because you live inside of us. Your spirit lives within us. And when we gather together, God, is the temple of your Holy Spirit, your presence is revealed. And so, God, I just pray... Not, not that you would reveal yourself, but that we wouldn't miss how you're revealing yourself. That we wouldn't have closed ears or blind eyes, God, but that we would see with spiritual eyes, that we would hear with spiritual ears, that we would sense you with our, with our being, God, that we wouldn't miss what you're doing. You've prepared a message for us today, Father, that that hits the heart of each and every one of us as we're going through this series. And I pray, Father, that, that we wouldn't turn away, but we would continue to lean in because I believe you have great things in store for this church, for this ministry, for this community. God, you want to reveal yourself. You want to heal broken hearts. You want to mend broken marriages. You want to rescue lost sons and daughters. You want to heal health issues and addictions. You want to bring that abundant life that Jesus said he came to bring, God, and you want to do that through this ministry right here. And so I pray, God, that you would just fill us with your spirit, that you would light us on fire, that you would baptize us in that holy fire, God, that we would not be content to just sit and be religious one day out of the week, God, but that we would live what we say we believe, that we would be lights that burn bright in the darkness that surrounds us. God, we just thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that Jesus shed. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for relationship, and thank you for these moments, and I just pray this in the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, this is week two of our new series. Come and see. We are, are beginning this series really just to help us kind of wrestle with this stage of, I believe, our journey as a church. We've we've come through several things now over the course of a, a year and a half or so, and God is continually teaching us in drawing us in to lean into what he's doing. And I want to be brief today, but I want to continue to help us understand this concept of personal evangelism, really what it is, what the mission of not just this church, but the church worldwide, what the mission of the church is, and how each of us can and should be participating in it. God has called every believer of Christ to be on mission, So even though it is our mission, it is our personal mission, it is a corporate mission, at the same time, as as we look at some practical concepts uh, to try to eliminate some of the fear that stands in the way, many times there are the fears, there are things that we wrestle with that keep us from living out the very mission of God in our lives. These fears have been propagated by the enemy that gets in the way that makes us doubt, makes us kind of... Uh, sheepish when it comes to sharing the gospel or sharing what God has done in our lives. One of the most common statements that I hear about people using to, to give a reason why they don't share the gospel with maybe a relative or somebody at, at their workplace is they'll say something to the effect of, I don't want to push people away. Uh, if I tell them about Jesus or invite them to church, that might push them away But the problem is, is that you can't push them away any farther than they already are. If you're not a believer in Christ, if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, if your sins are not forgiven, and you have a personal relationship with Christ, there is only one other option, and that is being away from God. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. If you are not found, you are lost. If you're not going to heaven, then you are going to hell. Judgment. And that's a sobering reality. You cannot push someone further away than where they already are. They are far from God. So they need to be drawn in close. And these lies, these fears that have been propagated by the enemy are propagated in an effort to keep lost people lost and found people from rescuing the lost. These fears are meant to keep lost people lost and from found people to rescue the lost. And so what I want to discuss and wrestle with today is something that Jesus said to his disciples. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, this is uh, the verse of Scripture that is, we're about to read together, else the verses will also be on the screen. And again, normally we have all of our message notes on YouVersion, so if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can navigate on the Events tab to Vertical Life Church and catch our notes there. But in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, Jesus called out to them. He says, come follow me. Come follow me. That is the call to every believer. When Jesus invited you into relationship, it was to come follow him. And when we come follow him, what does he say? He says, I will show you how to fish for people. The King James Version, the version i grew up with says i will teach you to become fishers of men this is god's purpose for each of us that we would be a disciple who makes disciples you see there are no sideline christians it doesn't exist if christianity was a game god intends each of us to be a player in the game there are no sideline christians each of us have a call to be on the field, to be in the ship, to be casting nets into the world, sharing the gospel, bringing hope into this dark world. We are to be fishers of men. Now, the thing about fishing is I'm no expert. My father-in-law can confirm that for you. When we go out fishing, normally he's untangling my line and and fixing me up, just as he does my children. It's pretty sad, but um, I have gone fishing a time or two. And so I get the concept, but um, a television show my wife and I really like to watch is that show called Wicked Tuna on Nat Geo Wild. Anybody seen Wicked Tuna? Anybody? Uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, I just love the show. You have these guys that go out into the Atlantic Ocean, and they try to catch like 1,000-pound tuna fish. It's crazy just to watch them. And the thing about the show is that the show is the same thing every time. It, there's not like a new thing that happens in the show. They go out on the boat. They look for the fish. They catch the fish. They bring the fish in and, and so on and so forth. It's the same thing each time. But the reason why it's kind of an addicting show is the moment the fish finder goes off, boop, 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 it's like, oh, man, here it comes. And in any minute, the, the, the background music kicks in, and everyone's just like, oh, we got something happening. And then all of a sudden, the line snaps, and, and the reel goes out, and then they're all going crazy on the boat, and, and they're all like trying to reel this thing in. And sometimes they have to reel this fish in for like eight hours or 12 hours. Sometimes it takes them all day to bring in this fish, and they're going crazy with excitement. And the excitement comes at the potential of getting this big catch, and the cool thing is, is once they bring the fish in and they measure it, you know, sometimes it's 70 to over 100 inches, it's a massive fish, they bring the fish in and they, they have the quality of the fish looked at, they have it weighed, and then probably the, the, the most exciting part is to seeing the payday for the fish. And sometimes a fish will give them five, even upwards of $10,000 per fish. It's pretty amazing. It's exciting. And so, in each time, it's the same way. Every time, beep, 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 and they go after the fish. Now, I just love watching it. I like I binge watched that show. But you know, to some extent, as a follower of Jesus, as fishers of men, Jesus said, "Wherever our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Whatever we value." That's where our passion, that's where our heart is going to be. And in that context, he's speaking about money, that that if you pursue money and the things of this world, that's where your heart is going to be. But if you are are passionate about the kingdom of God and you're pursuing the kingdom of God, that is where your heart is going to be. And as I relate the high that, that I get from watching this show and that these guys get that draw them out to the ocean week after week to try to catch these massive fish, The high that's associated with every opportunity, I also relate to the excitement that I get with every opportunity to share Christ with somebody. Every opportunity, every time that that I wake up to the realization, hey... This person might give their life to Christ. It's like the fish finder goes off. Beep, 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 beep. beep. And I'm like, oh, here it goes. Here it comes. I mean, let, let, you know, it, 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 it's about to get real here. And I begin to tell about Jesus. Every Sunday worship experience, every time we gather in this place, is another opportunity to see somebody give their life to Jesus Christ. That is an exciting, amazing thing. Every week. And when someone raises their hand and says, I'm going all in with Jesus, there is a rush that is uncomparable to know God used me to impact their lives, to change their lives forever. It is an amazing, and it is a rush that I can't explain. And when we are walking in and fulfilling the purpose of God for our lives, it is a more fulfilling endeavor than anything in all the world, to see the life change, to see God use you and His Holy Spirit working through you to change somebody's life, to see a marriage become restored, to see someone receive a healing, to watch them healed right before your eyes, to see them filled with the Spirit and lit on fire, to see someone say, you know what, I'm... I've got all this sin, I've got all this stuff in my life. Does God even love me? Just saying, you know what, I'm going to choose Jesus and watch them in a second be radically transformed. It's an amazing thing. And so we exist as followers of Jesus. And this is what we say is our mission statement for our church. We exist to engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That's why every church exists on the planet. It's to reach people and disciple people. But before a person can be fully developed in Christ, they have to make the decision to follow him. They have to make the decision. They have to say, I'm going to stop living for myself and being the God of my own life, and I'm going to choose to trust in Jesus, to make him my Lord and Savior. And that's where you and I come in. And I want to give you three things to think about today as it pertains to living on mission with this mindset that I am a missionary right where I am. I don't have to go to another country to be a missionary. I am a missionary. I am living on mission. I am a fisher of men. I want to give you three things to think about as it pertains to being a witness for Christ that mirrors how these fishermen of the seas get their big catch i going to relate it to the two. And the three main ideas I want you to remember, the first is context, the second is encounter, and the third is relationship. Again, that's context, encounter, and relationship. Let's talk about the context. You see, before a fisherman can go out and get the big score, he has to do his homework. He has to know where he's going. He has to know the lay of the land or, or the seas. He needs to know the area. He has to know the depth. He has to know what kind of the, um, area he is going into, what kind of boat he needs. He can't just go out into the water and wing it and expect to get the big catch. It just doesn't work that way. And, and in the show, Wicked Tuna, in order to catch the big tuna, they need to understand the, the place that they're going to fish and understand the kind of fish they're going to try to catch. They can't just go out with any old kind of bait and any old kind of rod and reel and any old kind of boat in any, in any area in the Atlantic and expect to catch a tuna. And for us, depending on the environment that we're in, whether it be at a school, if you're a young person, if you're a teenager or a young person and you're in school, whether it's at work, maybe it's at a family gathering, no matter where you are, Each context, each environment will require a different approach because each environment, you will encounter different kinds of fish. You will encounter different kinds of things. Just like in each environment, you may encounter different types of fish, the same is true in the context for your sphere of influence. No matter where you find yourself, you will encounter different situations and scenarios. And the same is true for us. If it's important that the fishermen of the big sea don't use a one-size-fits-all approach to fishing. It's also true for us in sharing the gospel. If you think about uh, back in the day, I call it back in the day, around the 1950s and 60s, there was a popular method of evangelism or personal evangelism called door knocking. Has anybody in here ever gone door knocking? Yeah, it was popular even kind of when I was a young kid. We, we would just go down the neighborhood, and we'd knock on doors, and sometimes you'd be led into a person's home. You'd talk to them for hours, and sometimes they, they would receive Jesus as their Savior. Sometimes you'd just get a plate of awesome cookies and, and, and go home. You know, it just depended on what you were doing. But that method of evangelism has kind of faded away. Why? Because it's not effective anymore. Chances are people will greet you at the door with a shotgun rather than a plate of cookies. It's just we live in a different environment, in a different age. And so now we need to implement different types of methods. We need to understand the context, the kind of people that we're dealing with, the environment that we're in before we just go willy-nilly in trying to preach the gospel. The second, after we understand the context, we also need to be intentional. And intentional in, number two, the encounter. The encounter. Not just the area that we're going, but the way in which we approach people. Again, a fisherman can't just throw any bait on any type of line and expect to catch the big fish. The bait and the fish need to match. And this is why context is key. Because whether, as a fisherman, depending on the weather or time of day, visibility, precipitation, you might need a shiny bait, To lure in the fish, you might need a scented bait, you might need a noisy bait. It just depends on your environment. And when you're having conversations with people, discerning your environment and discerning uh, the type of person that you are speaking to should help guide your conversations. If you're speaking to a skeptic, your approach will be different than someone who is ready to receive Jesus right in that moment. And there are times you can discern somebody is, is more tender that they just have a longing to know God and receiving and they 're interested and you can relate to them through more personal story well here 's what I went through here 's what happened to me here here 's what's what happened in my life and here 's what God did to me and you can use your story to draw them in. I was uh, at a previous church one day and uh, I was working as usual I was closing up the building and this guy starts walking into the parking lot and pulling on one of the doors that were, were locked. And it was wintertime, so there was snow on the ground. And I went up to him, and I said, hey, man, what's going on? And, and he's like, well, I was here to go to the clothing closet because I, I need help with getting some clothes. And unfortunately, at that time, the, our clothing people were, were not there, and they had this thing about keys. And so I didn't have a key to, to open the clothing closet to help him out. And so I was like, man, I'm sorry, that it's not open today. You'll have to come back at such and such time. And, and I noticed that he had walked to the church. And, uh, and I said, well, how far away do you live? I was thinking maybe he lived in the apartments right next to us. And he said, well, I live a few miles from here. And, uh, and so I, I just have, will have to go back and, and come back at another time. And so I was just you know, feeling for the guy because he walked. He, his jeans had major holes in them. It was cold outside. There was snow on the ground. And I said, hey, well, why don't I just give you a ride home? And, and I was thinking, well, maybe I'll, I'll get to encourage him, talk to him about the Lord a little bit. And, uh, and it's only a couple minutes. You know, who knows what might happen? And so he agreed to let me take him home. And I started talking to him, and I think his name was Anthony. And uh, as I was speaking to him, uh, he started asking me all sorts of questions about the difference between Catholics and, and Baptists and, and about different churches and in, in religion, and he was asking me the questions. I wasn't having to ask him. And as I was answering these questions, the Spirit of God just spoke to my heart and said, this guy needs to receive Jesus as his Savior. And so when we pulled into his driveway, and again, I'm just, just talking to him casually about the Lord answering his questions, I just asked him, you know, has there ever been a time when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he says, no. And I was like, well, do you want your sins to be forgiven? You want to know that you're right with God, and if you were to die, you'd go to heaven? And he's like, yeah. I said, like, well, we can do that right now. You can know right now that you know that you know that you know that you have a relationship with God. He's like, would you like to just pray and receive Christ as your Savior? And he's like, yeah, I'd like to do that. And so we just sat there right in the driveway in my car, and we prayed. And I'll never forget what he said after we were done praying, after you know, we said amen, he looked at me, and he was like, man, you can really feel it, can't you? And I was like, yeah, you can, because he's real. This is this is the real deal. And I was just so filled with joy. And Anthony got out of my car a couple minutes later and went into the house, and I was talking to a, a relative of his, found out that one of his relatives went to our church. And, uh, and I was like, hey, you know, I heard that this guy was related to you, and she's like, yeah, he is. And I said, man, he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And she's like, oh, man, that's amazing because we've been praying for him for a long time. He's addicted to drugs, and, and his life is a mess. And I was just like, well, man, that's awesome. And he starts calling me about a week later, and he says, hey, man, I want to come to church. I'm like, yeah, man, that'd be awesome. I look forward to seeing you. Well, I never saw him. And I come to find out a week or two later he had OD'd on drugs and passed away. And I'm just reminded myself, thinking, you know, what if I hadn't offered him a ride? What if I hadn't, you know, what if I just turned him away? What if when we were driving home, I didn't answer his questions because I felt afraid? And, and, and what if I took a different approach rather than just showing him love and kindness became more of a, well, you're this or you're this or you need to get this right type of an attitude? It would have changed his eternity forever. Just as important as the context, the environment you're in, is the encounter that you have with people. A strong-arm approach of this is right, this is wrong, you need to vote this way, not this way, the Bible says this, not this, sometimes will definitely change what type of encounter you have. We need to be tender and discerning of the Holy Spirit to know what kind of encounter we need to have with people. Sometimes we need to have a direct approach, a direct conversation. But other times, we just need to listen and allow the Spirit to cultivate and allow us to draw people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have the context, the encounter, and the number three, we have relationship. We have relationship. You see, sometimes before you have any luck in any area sharing the gospel or, or, or reaching people with Christ, or really anytime you have any luck fishing, and and going out and, and having luck as a fisherman, you have to know where the hot spots are. And in order to know where the hot spots are, you have to spend time and invest time and intention in order to discover where these areas are. You have to invest into the in area that you're in. And the same is true for a child of God as we are reaching people with the gospel, as we're trying to share the truth and, and lead people to Christ. Before you're able to speak into someone's life, Sometimes you need to build rapport with that person. And there were many times where I was at work and, and people knew I, I was a believer and I would, I would talk with them and I would just have these spiritual conversations with them. But because there was no real relationship, I could never really make that connection. I could never really get them to, to, to open up enough to receive Christ and what God was sharing with me and teaching me, that is if you have no relationship, often you also have no platform. You know, you know those kind, kinds of people that that it's, it's just black or white, it's like this is right, this is wrong, and it doesn't matter who you're talking to, if you're not on their side of the coin, it's just like they just kind of shut you down. You know, I used to be like that when I would we talk about different moral issues or things at, at work with people from various backgrounds, I wasn't interested in their story, where they came from, how they got to where they were. I didn't have compassion on their struggle. I just knew this is what the Bible says. And I never had any luck because I didn't have relationship. I didn't love them. I didn't have compassion on them. See, direct confrontations are a surefire way to close potentially open doors. If we look at Christ in the way... He shared the gospel the way. He drew people to the truth. He led with compassion first, love first. He built relationship first. The old adage is true. People don't care what you say until they know you care. Relationship is so vitally important. But the difficulty with relationship is really twofold. Number one, it takes time and often requires you to get into someone's mess to love them towards Jesus. It takes time. So to get close to others, you also have to let people get close to you. You have to become vulnerable. You have to become transparent. And a lot of people, especially in this day and age, don't want to do that. We're very guarded people. We're very guarded. So transparency and letting people get close is often a big hurdle. And it takes time to build relationship and it takes that vulnerability in relationship to draw people. And number two, is that authenticity also determines credibility. The authenticity of your faith of who you are often determines determines your credibility. If your life doesn't back what you say you believe, it can ruin your credibility, and no one will believe what you say. I've struggled with this as well, being a walking hypocrite. The reality is, is people don't expect perfection, they just expect honesty. They expect authenticity. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus said, teaching about salt and light, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out For all to see, so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. He says, let your good deeds shine. A good friend said to me recently, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. Let your good deeds shine. This doesn't mean to be dishonest and fake it, like act perfect when you're really not. But it does mean that we should each be pressing into the Holy Spirit, seeking to walk in the Spirit so that His power can shine through us, to seek in to know God's love so God's love can then flow through us. To live out the love we say we experience, we need to be connecting with the love of God. You know, if we want people to believe God is a loving God, then we need to be a loving people. Let your good deeds shine so people will look at you and say, man, there's something different that I want to have. There's just something different. Recently, we had a conversation with our, our foreign exchange student, uh, Natalia. She she's a, was from Slovakia when she came to stay with us through the foreign exchange program. And, and just hearing her testimony and story about how God reached her and how she gave her life to Christ and how even now she has a growing, flourishing relationship with Jesus, when she came to stay with us, you know, my wife and I were thinking, oh, great, we're going to, you know, she's going to see how messed up we are. We're arguing and fighting all the time. She's not going to have anything to do with God and and this, that, and the other. And she left, to, to graduated, went back home, and she came back for a visit, and she just had an encounter with God, and, and then we didn't talk to her for several, several years. And recently, she just came back for a visit, and she told us that when she was with us, that she's like, there's something about their family that I wanted, but I never really knew what it was. And we're thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, you know, but she was just explaining, but I realized later it was that everything you do is centered on Jesus Christ. Everything you do, we weren't perfect. We weren't, you know, this perfect little family, but she said everything we did was centered on Christ, and that's what she wanted in her life. And that ultimately is what led her to faith In Jesus Christ. And so, as we're looking at this, and Jesus is saying, let your light so shine. He's not saying you have to be perfect, because none of us are. But he's saying, let what God is doing in you shine. If Jesus is important to you, it's going to be important to those who are around you, that you can speak into their life. Using the the lamp illustration that he uses here, he says, your light was meant to shine. No one takes a lamp and puts a, a, a cover over it that the light was meant to shine. If you're a city on a hilltop, you're meant to draw people to safety who are lost in the darkness. If you are salt, you are meant to enhance flavor. In a sour world, this world needs a savory flavor, and that is the church of Jesus Christ. You're meant to savor. You're meant to draw people in, to minister to people. Your life should enhance the lives of those who Around you. But the problem with the world today, and really the church today, is many have a lot of talk but no walk. Many have a lot of talk. Many say they love God but yet they hate people in their lives. And John in his letter says, If you hate your brother who you see, how can you love the one you can't see? We have talk but we have no walk. We say we follow Jesus but yet live selfish and self centered greedy lives. There's no wonder why we have no place to speak truth in the lives of those who don't believe. And our words come across as self-righteous condemnation and hypocritical judgment. In Luke chapter 12 verses 2 through 4, Jesus said this, that there is a time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you've whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. In the Joey translation, I translate that passage to say, fake will only go so far. Fake will only go so far. Soon enough, all pretending will fade away, and you'll be exposed for who you really are. Your talk will be called onto the carpet People will see you for who you really are. That's why we must be driven by love because love covers a multitude of sins. A person who knows you love them will overlook your imperfections. But a person who doesn't feel loved by you will only focus on your imperfections. I want to say that again. Love covers a multitude of sins. A person who knows they are loved by you will overlook your imperfections, but a person who doesn't feel loved by you will only focus on your imperfections. I command you to leave, devil, in the name of Jesus. Context and encounter are one thing, but most often, relationship will determine the encounter and the context. As we bring this to a close, I just want to read quickly a story of a time Jesus built relationship to leverage it for the kingdom of God. This is found in Luke 19. It's a very famous passage of scripture. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Anybody know that song? Yep. Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Jesus doesn't do anything just because there are no coincidences with God. If you think about everything Jesus does, he doesn't do anything by chance or by coincidence. He has a plan and a purpose for everything he does. So Jesus is... Walking down this way, Zacchaeus hears Jesus is going to come by, and I have to believe Jesus went there on purpose. Why? Because he knew what kind of fish he was going to catch that day. It was a Zacchaeus fish. So he went to the context, to the environment, to the place where he could catch a Zacchaeus fish. We continue reading. It says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by what? Name. Had Zacchaeus and Jesus ever met before? No. But Jesus knew his name. Did you know that you are not just a number to God? Did you know that? Did you know you matter to God? He knows your name. That is relational, that is intentional. So this encounter with Jesus, the moment he meets Christ, the first encounter is a relational encounter where Jesus looks, the God of the universe looks at this man and says, I know you. I love you. You have value to me. He doesn't bring up his laundry list of sins or all the things that he's done wrong or the way he has his theology incorrect. He just says, I love you. And the encounter with Zacchaeus, who had never met Jesus before, showed love first. There was no arguing, debating, condemnation, none of it. Zacchaeus, he said, continuing on, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. So Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But there were people that were displeased. He has gone to be with a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. See, Jesus went to this man's home. He was investing in relationship. He didn't just say, I know you by calling his name. He then took a next step to say, I'm going to come be where you live. I'm going to come into your your situation, your circumstance. And Jesus even risked his very own reputation with the religious elite that was watching to build a connection with this man. This is the encounter Zacchaeus had with Jesus. Now, we call Zacchaeus low-hanging fruit. Why? Because he was in a tree. He was literally hanging fruit. But we call him low-hanging fruit because he was looking for Jesus. He was, in his mind, he said, there's something about this guy that I need to know. I need to see him. He was already searching for Jesus. His heart was already prepared to have an encounter with Christ. And there, there are Zacchaeuses around every one of us each and every day. There are Zacchaeuses around in every one of our lives, whether it be at the grocery store, at work, it doesn't matter. We come across these low-hanging fruit, these people who are just ripe to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. They say about the millennial generation in this day that it's one of the largest generations, but they say that the millennial generation is the most spiritual generation that has been in a long time. The problem is they love Jesus, but they hate the church. They're the most spiritual generation to come in a long time. They love Jesus, the idea of Jesus, but they hate the church. Why? Because the church has historically been, you must become first before you can be included. Rather than focusing on relationship and having authentic encounters. This millennial generation, the the generation stepping up into leadership today, they're more interested in authentic relationships than religion. Jesus, looking at Zacchaeus, had to build relationship with this tiny man before he was ready to respond to the good news that he was about to hear. And I just have to think, how many times do we walk on by, minding our own business, ignoring the people, the low-hanging fruit, those that are in a desperate place to come to know Christ, to know the person that can transform their lives. And we who have the message, who have the very cure for the illness that is plaguing their soul, we just continue to pass on by and don't even recognize they're there. Jesus built relationship. And for Zacchaeus's life, Jesus' life and reputation preceded him Zacchaeus knew who Jesus was, he had heard about him, he knew that he could make a difference, and the love of Christ in this one little moment won him over. And if we look at Zacchaeus' response to Jesus in verse 8, it says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. First, Jesus stopped being Jesus to Zacchaeus, and he became Lord. There was a decision. There was something that happened in Zacchaeus' heart. And then he shows that this relationship, this newfound relationship he had with Christ was changing his life from being greedy and money-centered to now being love and generous, generosity-centered. In verse 9, Jesus responds to this, this change in his heart. And he says, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus has come on a rescue mission. He's come for the Zacchaeuses of the world, for those who are far from God, and He wants us to have these encounters to to lead these people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus came on a rescue mission, and He has sent us now into the world to finish the job. We need to understand the context where we live. We need to be intentional about our, the encounters that we have, and we need to have the patient endurance to build authentic relationships that can lead people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. In Luke eleven thirty six, 36, it says, if you are filled with light with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. What is the ratio in your life between light and light? See, the greatest bait you can send out as a fisherman of men is a spirit-filled life. Jesus said, when I baptize you with the spirit, fire will be there also. There's a fire in your soul that is burning bright. And the more fire of the spirit that you have, the more light you can send out into the darkness. What is the ratio in your life between the spirit and his light and darkness? The more you lean into Christ, the more you pursue the spirit, the more his light will shine in your life. Pursue love. Let your good deeds show. So those who are lost in darkness will be drawn to the light. When you understand your context and you follow the Lord to have spirit-filled encounters, you build relationships that you can leverage for the eternal impact through love and compassion God is going to do a radical transformation in your sphere of influence, in the lives of people around you, and he's going to build this church, and he's going to build the kingdom of God, and he's going to continue the work that he started when he died on the cross. And the reality is this, church, everyone counts. Everyone counts. Every person you pass, everyone at the gas station, everyone at your school, your kids' schools, everyone at your college, everyone... At the grocery store, everyone counts. Everyone matters to God. Context, encounter, and relationship. So a question I have for you today, something to wrestle with today, is who is in your life today that you know needs a relationship with Jesus? Who do you know that needs to be saved? Who do you know? And has your light been shining on them like a rod and reel? to draw them to the one who can change their life. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this place as we draw to a close. And just as we do every service, let's just ask right now in this moment, ask the Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? What is the truth that you want me to take away? Maybe you're here today and there's somebody that's been on your life, but you've just been too afraid to share the gospel, to share your story, to tell them what God has done for you and invite them to have the same experience. Maybe you've been too afraid to let people know that you're a Christian at your workplace or to be that shining light. Maybe you've been more focused on living for yourself, then living a light or a life of compassion and love for other people. Maybe there's something in your life that's just been getting in the way of your testimony and your authenticity. Whatever it is, for the next few moments, let's just go to the Lord and just ask him, God, what are you saying to me? And how can I be a better light? Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now for those of us here in this room today, God, that you would fill us, that we wouldn't look at people as a number. We wouldn't look at people as just an inconvenience or just an acquaintance, God, but we would look at people as valuable. We would look at people through your eyes, that we would have a compassion and a, just a driven desire to see them come to know Jesus that we would recognize that when they reject us, it's not that they're rejecting us, they're just rejecting you. And that it's our job just to put it out there, to put out what you've done in our lives, to be that witness, and to help them come to know that same hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I just thank you for the awesome opportunity we have to be in the school, how it positions us perfectly to reach out and minister in our community. I pray for more touches this week, Father. I pray for everyone here and those serving and those that weren't able to make it today, God, that you'd give us more touches today, more opportunities. God, that you'd open our eyes to all the Zacchaeuses in our world that are ripe to come to faith in Christ, Lord, and that there'd begin just a massive revival of those getting saved in our community lives being changed, and then give us the compassionate hearts to walk through their circumstance and their situations with them as they come to know you and begin to be discipled, to be a follower of Christ, filled with the Spirit, and one who can then go out and disciple others. Lord, we just thank you for everything that you're doing in us and through us, in the name of Jesus, amen.